Good day, everyone. I want to welcome each and every one of you. We are so excited uh, that you are here with us, so excited that you have tuned in with us uh, today uh, for today's lesson and today's discussion. Uh, I hope and pray that you are learning each and every week as we do these uh, lessons. I hope and pray that uh, you're growing um, up in, into Christ and your spiritual journey um, and your spiritual walk uh, is growing. I, that, that is my prayer uh, for each and every one of you who are listening to this. And, and as we're coming off um, of the, the message, if you will, the series, if you will, talking about our purpose you know, we've spent several weeks talking about that, talking about what we do, why we do it, uh, and how we do it. Uh, and the statement that we made originally was that the church exists. The purpose of the church is to glorify God. And so we've established that thought and we've discussed that and what it means to glorify God. We've talked about why we do it. We've looked at it in several different ways and but you know the second part of that statement uh, is a church you know uh, the church exists the church's purpose uh, and so before we kind of talk about that I think we're at a good transition spot to begin to study a little bit about the Holy Spirit um, and, you know Jesus promised the disciples in John chapter 15 which is where we will begin today uh, in verse 26 saying that the helper the Spirit is coming. So I want us to talk about that uh, and kind of establish this foundation of the Spirit, what it does, what this Holy Spirit does, what what it, what is its ministry. And so I'm going to share with you a statement you've heard thousands of times if you've uh, been in or around a church, uh, but through faith in Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on the cross, we have a relationship with God. Uh, it, 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 we have a relationship with him. We are designed as, as humans, as mankind, to have relationships. Relationships play a huge factor, uh, a huge role uh, in our lives. And, and we have relationships in many different capacities as well. But this relationship with God, there's something unique about it. It is not a long-distance relationship. This is an intimate, up-close and personal relationship. The Holy Spirit is the person of God present with us. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit is the person of God present with us. It is a very intimate, uh, personal, up-close relationship. And so kind of what we're going to dive into over the next several weeks is, is how the Holy Spirit is in our lives, how it moves in our lives, how it interacts, and kind of what it does. What is the Holy Spirit's ministry? And it's all going to kind of guide us uh, to, to understanding a little bit about the church. Um, as we know early on in the book of Acts, um, that, um, that the day of Pentecost... Uh, when, when the Holy Spirit uh, came upon that church and those, uh, those people. Uh, but I want you to think about, um, have you ever thought um, uh, you lost something only to find out it was never actually lost to start with? Maybe you had to put your sunglasses on your head or, or your wallet uh, or your keys or in your coat pocket and you can't seem to find them. You, you know that feeling that I'm talking about. 
that feeling of of panic, that feeling of intense stress, intense worry. You almost break out into a sweat because there's such a a feeling of pressure that you've lost your wallet, you've lost those sunglasses, your favorite pair of sunglasses, you've lost your keys and you're in a rush. There's this intense moment of pressure, if you will. Uh, I feel like that may be how the 12 disciples felt uh, of what we're going to study today. From the time Jesus said in John chapter 13 that he is going away until the time they saw him resurrected, I feel like they had some notion of this pressure. They had some, uh, at least a little bit of this intense worry, intense anxiety and panic. Like, what are we going to do? Right? I feel like that's kind of what the disciples are thinking about here. Our teacher, our leader, our friend, our Lord, he's leaving us. How can, how can we continue? It's kind of maybe what they're thinking. You know, there's certainly high levels of confusion, high levels of, of stress. But Jesus, after saying that in John 13, he follows it up in John 15 with a promise. A promise that we can cling to, a promise that you are never alone, a promise that 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 that, that brings the Holy Spirit to us, that brings God's presence to us through the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's a biblical promise that you are never alone as you walk this life. And so, what does the Spirit do? You may be heard heard me say, uh, mention the word helper. Uh, how is it my helper? Um, how is it my advocate, as some translations may read? So if you're following along with me, I ask that you open your Bibles to John chapter 15, and I'll begin reading in verse 26. Jesus says to his disciples, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Now I want us to to kind of focus in, if you're looking at it with me, at verse 26. Uh, You'll notice that he refers to this helper, the Spirit, as the Spirit of Truth. For us to understand that, we first need to begin with understanding you may have heard me mention before the depravity of man, our wickedness, our sinfulness, our moral corruption. You know, we have to understand we are a fallen, sinful, selfish, prideful people. And a lot of a lot of times we try to excuse our behavior. We try to excuse our behavior, our wrong behavior, that is. But when the truth is revealed to us, we quickly recognize our sin. And as believers, we also recognize the salvation that was given to us. That's what we recognize when truth is revealed to us. It's a two-part story here. So let's focus on the the, the Holy Spirit uh, convicts of sin. The Holy Spirit has a convicting power. And then the Holy Spirit points back to Christ. 
It reminds me of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse, chapter 3, verse 16, which reads, All scripture is breathed out by God and is good or is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training up in righteousness. Whenever it says rebuking and correcting, the scripture of God, the word of God, the, the voice of God, it identifies a sin, rebuke, and then it provides a solution, corrects. The Holy Spirit convicts sin, it identifies sin, but it also points back to Christ. It also provides a solution. This Holy Spirit has a convicting power, and that's really a great thing. That's fantastic. You may wonder, how can conviction be great? Well, let's talk about it. If you look at verse 26 with me, your translation may read, may read, but when the advocate comes or, or something like that, my translation reads, when the helper comes, what is an advocate? What is a helper? By definition, an advocate or a helper is someone who provides support or someone who provides assistance. Other terms or other translations you may read in, uh, in your Bibles, you may see the word counselor, you may see the word comforter. Uh, we have helper with us today uh, in the ESV translation. But what does all this mean? Specifically helper, if the Spirit is a helper, if the Spirit is a counselor, if the Spirit is an advocate or a comforter, what is it going to do? It is going to help us. It is going to counsel us. It is going to advocate for us. It is going to comfort us. In what ways? How? Look at verse 26. He, the Spirit, will testify about me. That's what Jesus says. He, the Spirit, will testify about me. The Spirit is going to teach the disciples, which, by the way, as followers in Christ who profess faith in Christ, we are called to be disciples. We are called to be students and listeners and learners. The Spirit is going to teach the disciples, you and I, the 12 disciples who he's talking about here, who Jesus is talking about, but also you and I, of all things. The Spirit is going to teach them of all things and remind them of everything Jesus has already told them. I want you to be reminded that we are hours away from the crucifixion. We are hours away from Christ being beaten and whipped and crucified. And he just told them in chapter 13, moments prior to this, that he's got to go away for a while. But then he says, don't be alarmed. I'm sending you a helper. I'm sending you a comforter. I'm sending someone to come alongside of you and to assist you. And it says in verse 26, he will testify about me and you verse 27 my disciples will also testify so the spirit is going to testify about jesus but you disciples will also testify about jesus what makes me ask the question what does testify mean if if we testify in court we provide evidence and we provide proof right we have some sort of personal experience some sort of personal intimate knowledge where we could testify about whatever it is, the experience, the, the evidence. Right? And Jesus tells this to his disciples. So as believers, we are now called as a disciple, that's you and I, to provide information, to testify, to share in our lives about Jesus. 
We are to bear witness. We are to testify to the truth that Christ is the Messiah. He is our means of salvation. He is our means of righteousness. And we are to testify about this. How? How are you going to testify in your lives the truth of Christ? I think one practical way we can do this is to do as God has commanded us to do. Right? Once we've tasted His goodness, then we tell people about it. We live a life that points to Jesus. You know, we have faith in Jesus. And now we commit our lives to it. Now we commit our lives to it. I think what we can really gather from from the context here, going back maybe a couple of chapters uh, and what, what we're reading today, is that the Holy Spirit is certainly God's presence with us. There are going to be times in your life, there are going to be times in my life, in the lives of your loved ones, Just as there were times in the lives of the disciples where we may feel alone, where we may feel abandoned, but we can cling to the promise of Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5, which the writer pulls from Joshua 1.5, which reads, Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. That is a promise to never leave you. That is a promise of God's omnipresence towards you. That is a biblical promise that we can cling to during times of of despair, during times we may feel alone. God promises you. He makes an oath to you. He makes a guarantee to you that you're not alone. It's a promise. Would you also note that the Spirit is a Spirit of truth? Verse 26. A Spirit is going to communicate truth. How? What truth does it communicate? Well, let's look at that and uh, we'll, 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 we'll read that in John chapter 16, verse 7. Believe I'll go through verse 11 here. But if you look at verse 7 with me in John chapter 16. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Jesus is going to tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I do go away, I will send the helper to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. And you will see me no longer. In verse 11, concerning judgment, because a ruler of this world is judge. What's interesting to me, I don't know about you, but what's interesting to me is... How Jesus told his disciples that his departure, his leaving, would actually benefit them. He says, it is for your good that I am going away. It is to your advantage that I go away, is what my translation reads. How? Why is that Why is that a good thing? What well, goes on to say, it's good because we get to receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 7, unless I go away, the Helper will not come to you. They would not be able to receive this Holy Spirit. They would not be able to receive 
the advocate, the helper, until Jesus' mission was fulfilled. Until the cross was completed, till he died, rose again, went to the Father, and at that point, Jesus would send the Holy Spirit. If you look at verse 8 with me, it says, When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong. He will convict the world. It says, the Spirit will convict the world of three things. So before we kind of break those three things down, we need a full understanding of what it means to convict. How do we describe conviction? How do we explain conviction to someone? Well, the general meaning is to expose. Uh, It's to bring light to, if you will. Uh, And so it says, the Spirit convicts us of sin. The Spirit leads us to understand the evil in our own hearts. In verse 9, this evil, this sin, is directly tied to our lack of faith. A lack of faith isn't just experiencing doubt, which we all experience doubt, but a lack of faith involves rejecting Jesus. I want to remind you of John chapter 1, verse 10 and 11. It says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him, verse 11. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. See, the Holy Spirit is going to call you and I to recognize our sin, repent of that sin, and then believe in Jesus if we don't already know him. Now, if we do already know Jesus, if we are born-again believers, if we do have faith in Jesus, we still have a message here. The Holy Spirit is going to call you and I to recognize our sin, repent of that sin, and come back to Him if we've been unfaithful. Again, the work of the Holy Spirit sounds just like the work of the Word of God, 2 Timothy 3.16. It's breathed out by God, and it's good for rebuking reproving, and convicting. But then it also corrects us. Just as the Word of God identifies a sin and provides a solution, so does the Holy Spirit. There's a convicting power that the Holy Spirit has. I'm sure we've all felt that convicting power before. I'm reminded of James chapter 4, verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing and fails to do it, for him it is a sin. You know what you need to do. You know what you're supposed to do, but you don't do it. You do what you're not supposed to do. And a lot of times during that, we feel conviction. A lot of times we feel conviction prior to engaging in whatever it may be, in whatever sin it is, whatever temptation it is, we feel that conviction. And we say, hey, I shouldn't do that. Hey, I shouldn't go there. Hey, I shouldn't say that. Hey, I shouldn't think that. Right? But then it's a matter if we're going to follow through with that or not. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin. It shines a light on it. It exposes it. It brings it to attention. It also says the Holy Spirit convicts us. It exposes us. To righteousness. What does that mean? I want you to think about righteousness as a standard. 
what is God's standard? God's standard is pure, it is perfect, it is blameless, it is spotless. We certainly do not meet God's standard on our own. I mentioned earlier we had to come to an understanding about the depravity of man, our wickedness, our sinfulness, our moral corruption. Romans 3.23 is going to tell you all about that. For all have sinned, that includes you and I, and have fallen short of the glory of God. Psalm chapter 14 verse 3 says, There is none who is righteous, not even one. We don't measure up to God's perfect standard. But thank you, Jesus. 1 Timothy 2.4 God has a desire for all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So that John 3.16 Because he loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but shall gain everlasting life. How do we? How is that so? Why would he do such a thing? Well, first of all, because he loves us and because he loves us, 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might be the righteousness of God so in him in Christ we might meet we might become his holy and his perfect standard so what does the Holy Spirit play in this role you know I love listening and and reading things that John MacArthur has to say the Holy Spirit is here to shatter the claims we make of self-righteousness Listen, when we attempt to please God by our own righteousness, we are rejecting the reason for which Jesus came to this earth. I'll say that one again. You're going to want to write that one down. When we attempt to please God by our own righteousness, we reject the very reason for which Jesus Christ came to this earth. Romans 3.25 The reason for which Jesus came God put him forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. The reason for which Christ came was to pay for a debt that you could not pay. The reason for which Jesus came was to declare the person who believes in him, who has faith in him, Declare that person as righteous before God. So when you tie all of this together, the Spirit has a ministry. The Spirit's ministry is to convince the world of God's standard for getting into heaven. The Spirit's ministry is to convince the world of God's standard for getting into heaven. Only the Spirit brings people to an understanding that Jesus and Jesus alone is the only way to God's standard. That's another one you're going to want to write down. Only the Spirit brings people to an understanding that Jesus and Jesus alone is the only way to God's standard. See, we have to think about this righteousness as a standard. We have to think about righteousness and how the Spirit convicts us of righteousness. We have to think about that as a standard. We don't meet that standard. So what about judgment? The Spirit says, the Bible says it convicts us of judgment. You see, when we see our sin as a result of the conviction of sin and how that 
contrasts God's righteousness, it's then clear that we deserve judgment. See, God judges according to his own standard of righteousness. So just like righteousness, the Spirit convinces the world of God's judgment. I want you to notice here uh, in uh, verse 11, there's a reference to the enemy here. It says, Prince of this world. Ruler of this world stands condemned, is judged. That's the enemy. That's the devil. That's Satan. It's important to note that because in John chapter 3 verse 36 whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life but the wrath of God remains on him. Whoever does not believe, whoever does not have faith is still under God's judgment and God's wrath. John chapter 3 Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Because he hasn't believed in the name of Jesus, he's condemned. He's under God's wrath. He's under God's judgment. Mankind is going to share the same judgment of Satan if they reject Jesus. You see, people... People don't teach that. People don't like that part. They don't like that part of the Bible. They don't want to teach that part. We have to understand that the purpose here isn't to demoralize us. The purpose is to convict us so that we can experience God's grace and God's forgiveness. We have to understand that we are on a path to hell. And God said no. I love you too much. I love you too much. You see, God can't compromise. He cannot allow himself to be in the presence of sin. Habakkuk 1.13 He has pure eyes and to even look upon evil than to even look upon sin. God's character cannot be compromised. If we come before God in sin, that would compromise who he is. So he provided for us a way. He provided a blood sacrifice. So when he looks at the cross, he sees your sins. And when he looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Christ. If you just have faith and believe in him, that's God's grace and that's God's forgiveness. That's the gospel. See, the gospel is that we were on a pathway to hell, but Jesus... People don't see the convicting power of the Spirit as a good thing. They don't like it. They don't want their stuff brought to light. They don't want their stuff exposed. But a true, genuine Christian is going to realize how good the convicting power of the Spirit truly is because they realize how guilty they are. They realize... How sinful they are. They realize that God is just. They realize that they deserve judgment. They realize that God's character cannot be compromised. 
They realize that they don't meet God's standard, but Jesus does. And by faith, Ephesians 1, 7, in Him, in Jesus, we have been redeemed through the blood that was spilled at Calvary. We are forgiven of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. By faith we are redeemed. That's the gospel message and that's the power that the Spirit has. I think a very logical question that we may need to ask ourselves. Why do we need to be convicted in these ways? Why do we need to be convicted in these ways? I believe the next set of verses Verse 12 through 15 in John chapter 16 will answer that for us. John chapter 16 verse 12 reads, I still have many things to say to you, Jesus says, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is Mine, therefore I said that He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. If you look again at verse chapter 13, Jesus refers to the Spirit as the Spirit of truth. And its mission is to guide us into truth. You remember John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the truth, Jesus said. Jesus says himself, he is the truth. And the Spirit is going to guide us into the truth. We talked about Jesus' reason for coming earlier. Look at Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Here's Jesus' mission. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. See, for us to understand what we just read in John 16, we have to think about the lost world. The unbelieving world, the unbelieving world is hostile and enemies towards God. James 4.4 4 puts it this way, Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God, against God? Don't you know that being a friend of this world makes you hostile towards God, makes you an enemy of God's? The unbelieving world rejects the truth. We've already established the fact that the truth is Jesus. And if they reject Jesus... They are unable to receive the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit's mission is to guide us. And that's reserved for His disciples. How do we hear the Holy Spirit? How do we see the Holy Spirit moving in our lives? How do we know the Holy Spirit's guidance? Have you ever experienced His guidance? I think one of the most important ways to recognize this guidance is first of all becoming familiar with the word it's searching the scripture it's meditating on the scripture it's committing your life to the scripture to the words of god ephesians chapter 6 verse 17 says the word of god is the sword of the spirit so the spirit is going to use the word to speak to us 
That's the importance of God's Word and studying and reading your Bible. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 We have a call to pray continuously. Pray without ceasing, my Bible reads. Why does that benefit us? How does that benefit us? I want you to remember that Jesus said it is to your advantage that I go away. Romans chapter 8 verse 26 through 27 if we're talking about prayer. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Prayer is going to allow the Spirit to speak on your behalf to God the Father. I think it's so important and so vital in our spiritual development that we understand this. And, you know, we understand that we need to be in tune with God's will. We need to turn from sin and confess our sin. We need to make prayer a habit. We need to make study a habit. Those things are going to lead us into recognizing and following the Spirit's leading in our lives. You know, we tell people all the time, read your Bible and pray. We say that all the time. You need to read your Bible, you need to pray. Those are things you need to do. Why? Because it's how we hear God. We hear His voice. That's why we do it. That's why we do it. Ephesians 6, 17, 2 Timothy 3, 16, Romans 8, 26 and 27. It proves that. We just prove that. We need to make the argument that as disciples, which we are, we have to discipline ourselves. We know, we've studied in, in weeks previously, uh, a disciple comes from the word disciples, which also means to discipline. We have to make practice of prayer and study. We have to discipline ourselves to do such things. And let's face it, there's obstacles that we deal with, that we endure, that prevent us from clearly hearing, clearly seeing, clearly feeling the guidance of the Holy Spirit. I want you to think in your life, is something preventing you from hearing the Holy Spirit? Is something preventing you from hearing the guidance that it wants to give to you. So you have to figure out. I can't figure it out for you. You have to figure out what noise is drowning out the Spirit. You have to figure that out. And then you have to make your adjustments. But let me give you the solution. Because the scripture gives you, you the solution. Prayer and study. The Word of God convicts but it also correct. The Holy Spirit will convict and it also leads back to Christ. This is a call for you to, to continue to develop your relationship. If you belong to Christ, the same Spirit that lived in those 12 disciples lives in you. That is a biblical promise. It is a biblical promise that He will never leave you or forsake you. You will never be alone or abandoned. And one of the best things we can do for ourselves, I believe, is to position ourselves in a spot where we can experience the work of the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit certainly has a convicting power that will guide you to the truth. It's now up to you to recognize that. It's a promise that you have. Ephesians 1.13 In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you heard those things and you believed in Him, when you believed in Jesus, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to draw us to Christ. And we should be yearning for that. I greatly appreciate you tuning in with us today. I hope that you enjoyed today's lesson. And I hope that maybe you learned something. Something you didn't know before about the Holy Spirit. Uh, let me pray over you, uh, each of our listeners today. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for this time to just come and worship you. Come and learn about you. Come and just... Uh, study God and so we call out on your name Father and we, we pray that you take this message and you apply it to our lives open our hearts, open our eyes open our hear, ears to hear the convicting power to see the convicting power of the Holy Spirit allow it to grow us to develop us to raise us up Father, help us to pursue a life that points back to you. I pray over each and every listener, Father. I pray for every detail of their life. I pray that they continue to remain faithful and obedient to you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.